0: So, um, the last time we were together, uh, we were, we started kind of a two-parter into, uh, the knowledge of God, particularly last time we talked about how we know that God exists, um, kind of leading there towards the end, uh, into the idea that we can actually know God personally. Um, we kind of ended last time, uh, with the book of, uh, we're in First Corinthians chapter one, verses eighteen through twenty-five. Um, we'll pick up there uh, again this morning. So if you'll go ahead and flip with me to First Corinthians chapter one, we'll start in verse eighteen of chapter one. We'll just kind of read and pick up with the thought that we we kind of left with last week. Um, I want us to explore and consider um, this morning to what extent can we know God, right? Like you can know God personally, that's what we talked about last week. I want to just kind of to to bring us, uh, to bring our minds back into kind of the context that we left out last week. Um, how do we know that we can know God exists? Like, What's the primary reason that we can be confident that we can know God exists? Like, what, what does Scripture tell us about a knowledge of God? So that it's like ingrained in it, like when we, we can see it it's not so, we can see, so we can see it automatically, but why? Right? Like, I want us to think, why is it? Because it didn't have to be the case that we could see God all around us. Right? But why is it the case that we can see God all around us? God has made Himself known to us, right? Like, Scripture tells us this, that God makes Himself known to us. This is why we can look around us and see in what He's created, right? This is no different than us knowing Him personally. So I say, we can know God exists because God has made Himself known to us, in what He's created. This is what we see when we look at, um, at the book of Romans um, chapter 1, 19 uh, through 23. Right? Like we can see that God's made Himself known in the things that He's created. Right? But we know God personally. Not because we sought out after God. Right? Because had God not made Himself known to us personally... We would have thought the gospel to be foolish. Right? So, so your personal relationship with God is the result of God making Himself known to you personally. Right? So you know He exists because He's made it known clearly in what He's created. Right? So that none will be standing with an excuse For not knowing that he exists, right? You, as a believer, know he exists because he came to you, right? Not only did he come in, in physical bodily form, live the life that he lived, not only did Christ die on the cross and raise himself, right? Some historical event in the past, but you are a believer today. Because the gospel was preached, and through that the Holy Spirit moved to make God known to you on a personal level, right? So in all extent, we know God is because he has revealed himself to us, right? So let's look here in First Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 18 through 25. So this is—I think this is a good—a good place to start. Hey, does anybody want coffee? Anybody need some coffee? Raise your hand. No, nobody. No, no, no. Everybody's had their caffeine this morning. <laughs> <laughs> if I have any more, I've had too much. <laughs> Thank y'all. So, so here's something that I want us to, to note in this. is, and, and this is why I say that, that it, it you know God because God made Himself known to you. Because you would have thought the story of the gospel foolish if not for the power of God. Right? That's what Scripture itself says about this right so and and last week or not last week, but it was, I guess it was two weeks back for us at this point, um, as we were kind of discussing this that 's one of the things that I wanted you like when we hear that like things like this like like there's a part of that that makes it like especially in the world that we live in, like the kind of the the culture that we live in like there's a there's a bit of hesitation on our part to embrace the folly of the cross, right. Like, especially, like, and, and maybe not for everybody, but for me in particular, because, like, I like to know things, right? Like, I'm a facts guy. I like to know things. And there's something about that that makes me feel good about me, right? So, like, when I consider that the the gospel that I preach is foolish, there's a part of me that, like, when I face like like when I when I were if I were to stand in front of people that I felt were intelligent people, like, there's a part of me that that would be like, they're gonna think this is silly, right? And then I would, because of that, I would have a tendency to pull back a little, right? I think we all probably have a similar type of type of tendency because we like we don't embrace the folly of it, right? Like, like here's what I want us to, and this is like I think that when we do, like as we embrace the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the message that we proclaim, that it frees us, because here's what I know is I, if I preach the gospel and someone comes to believe, I've seen the miraculous take place. Right? Like if you are a believer, the, the miraculous has taken place in your life. Because what I'm preaching to you is foolish. Right? Like the message we proclaim is foolish. Embrace the folly of the cross. Right? Embrace it. That's what I want us to see here. So for for First Corinthians chapter one, verse eighteen through twenty five, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's what? It's the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the has got has God not Or has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs, and the Greeks seek... Wisdom. We find the same kind of the same dichotomy today where there are people that want to see the miraculous take place and there are those who want to seek after knowledge and they would call that knowledge wisdom, right? But we preach Christ crucified. Let's understand that this is a stumbling block. God became flesh, stumbling block. God died, stumbling block. He rose again, stumbling block right a stumbling block to the Jews and a folly to the Gentiles so people are going to stumble over this they're going to think that it's foolish that's why when we when we proclaim this gospel when we proclaim that you can like think about how crazy it is that i can say how crazy must i be if it's not true that you can know god not only know that he is but know him Personally, that's foolish talk, right? Think about how silly that is. That the Creator of all the universe, if He exists, cares to know a thing about you, cares to commune with you. But here's the thing. The world says no every day because it's folly and this is why we rest. This is why I say that it is the miraculous that has taken place in the life of a believer because this that we preach is foolish that you can know God. Foolish that He cares about you. Foolish that He died. Foolish that He came back to life. Foolish the whole story, but we believe it because God's power has worked to change this foolishness into rejoicing. We can know God. Foolishness. How foolish that sounds to the world. Embrace that foolishness. Right? You can know God. As foolish a thought as that might be, that's reality. Right? That's reality. We can know God. Now, how much can we know God? Right? as we kind of press into this a little bit more, how much can you know God? So you can know God. You can know Him truly. Right? What do I mean by that? I mean that you can know things about Him that are true. You can know Him deeply. What do I mean by that? Those true things that you know, you can can grow in your understanding of them, but you cannot know Him exhaustively. What do I mean by that? And, th- and this is the part to me like I, w- I want us to spend some time on this today uh, because this is this to me and again this is gonna sound foolish to the perishing right but if we look out into eternity for us like let's say that each of us divided like like let's say that we divided the the character of God into into pieces as you were and you were to explore for eternity just one Slim slice of the character of God. What, what, what we know is that you could press into that eternally. That's forever. That's without end and not exhaust it. Right? That one thing, right? That's not the interconnections between those different attributes that we might divide as we, as we kind of divide, try to divide and conquer this idea of who God is. Right and what God's done like that's not like that's not the whole like it, you could not exhaust even one small sliver of it so and we're gonna look at some passages of text that are gonna that are gonna make this more and more clear but as I consider this, this is one of the way, one of the things that I think about is that if you look out into the night sky in a single direction right like here based on what we know about the universe around us, if you were to set off in that direction, you would never, never, even given an eternity, make it to the end of that thing. Right? You could set off in a single direction. We cannot even see beyond certain distances. Right? So you could set off in a direction, never reaching the end. If your, if your journey was the end, you would never make it there. Right? Now that's for different, that's for different reasons. The universe is expanding, and, and the universe is expanding faster than light, so you could literally never travel fast enough. It's expanding. But here's the reality about, like, when we take that, this is where that analogy breaks down, is that the reason that you couldn't do that is because the limitations of physics around you, right? Like, the universe is expanding faster than you could ever hope to travel, therefore you can never reach the end, right? That analogy breaks down because God need not expand His depths. His depths are limitless already, right? Like He needs not expand to be infinite. He is, right? So when I say that, He's the, that you could not exhaust Him, that's not like He doesn't grow more or less in time, right? He's not more tomorrow or the next day. Before he spoke anything he was inexhaustible in his character right inexhaustible in every attribute anything that you could think truly about God you could explore that thing forever and never plumb the depths of it like that is unfathomable to me right so like so Christ Christ says this in John chapter 17 verse 3 um, so flip to John chapter 17 verse 3 um, depending on your translation it may read slightly differently um, speaking on eternal life this is what he says about it I want us to consider this like, and this is eternal life so this is John chapter 17 verse 3 and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, speaking on what eternal life is, he speaks, and and I want just I want us to tie this thought together, right? This idea that you could explore God, that you could know God, and increase in your understanding of who God is for eternity. Like, what does that mean? That means that God's, God's a different type of thing than us, right? Like that we could press in on Him and never be bored by Him. Never say we know it all about Him. That speaks to the difference of, of, of His kind and our kind, right? Like God is inexhaustible such that you could say eternal life is knowing Him and Christ. Right? Is that you would never run out of things to do there. Right? He is inexhaustible in His character. Let's press in a little more on on that. Um, We're going to look at a couple of different places in Scripture. If you would turn uh, to Psalm 145, Uh, we'll look at a couple of different places. So Psalm 145. Give you all a second to get there. Psalm 145, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. And we're going to look at a couple of different places. so we're going to be in Psalms for a, couple of, for a couple of these, and then we're going to jump around to a couple of other places. So, Psalm 145, 1-3. through 3, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is what? Unsearchable. So when we speak of God's greatness, what do we say about it? Like, could you, given an unlimited number of words, given an unlimited number of time, do justice to the greatness of, of of God? No, you could not. Could you find out just how great He is? No, you could not. Think about that. Is God great? Is He great? How great? I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know he's greater than I could imagine, but we can kind of Yes and more and more. And not only more, but more than we can describe him being more, right? Our words, our words will fail us. His greatness is unsearchable, Scripture says. So let's flip over a couple of a couple of psalms here to Psalm 147. Let's look at verse 5 there. So, 147 and 5. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So, God's understanding of things, right? And our understanding of God is what? Can you quantify it? Can you measure it? Given, Given all the words... That exists and enough time to make enough statements. Could you describe it? No! No!
1: You know how I, we can't,
0: yeah. I can't? How does he hear my prayer? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <that line laughs> and yet he does this. And yet he does this without breaking a sweat. He does this how with do you know? he does this without effort. Not only does he do this, but he knows without needing to search out the that. placement. Of the farthest speck of dirt on the farthest planet revolving around the farthest star that you can imagine without effort. Effortlessly is his understanding. Right? He needs not calculate to know the answer to the question. Right? He knows the answer. Right? He knows. I got to go to
1: uh, an astrophysic up in high school last February, um, Millie Grass Thompson. And it was like, I don't know, just talking about space and stuff. My husband really enjoys that. and He loves the fact guy. He, um, just talking with him, and just like every little fact that he would throw out there about Mars and how far we've gotten with the exploration there and like where the galaxies where we sent other like things off and just sent it off to, to monitor and see how far it could go and it's out in like a different galaxy now and every time like, he would throw something else different I'm like wow this this God that I love and has like a relationship with me like to like spend his time chasing after me it's, so
0: it's foolishness. This is what this is what's crazy, right? Like it's 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 foolish. Let's be real about this: is that when we look at all that there is in what has been created, right? And we can't, like, given an eternity, we would not have the time to explore all of creation, right? If it's expanding out faster than you could ever move, there are things moving out of our our view of knowledge so fast that we would never even knew, know that it was there. We are on the cosmic scale insignificant. So for me to say that whatever created all of this cares to know you on a personal level, I get why they think it's foolish. Because it is. Complete and utter, and utter foolishness. Nonsense. If it were not true. Right? If it were not true. And the fact that we don't have to do anything like, but believe. Like that's all you have to do. Believe. Like,
1: you don't have to work for it. You don't have to...
0: Okay, because crazy. you, <laughs> and here's what's here's what's crazy. Because to, it, it, and when we th- we start thinking about legalism, we start tying that in like the that we would work to achieve something. Think about the God of the universe, the sacrifice that He could give. Right, the weight of that sacrifice, and think how foolish it would be for us to think that we would add a drop in the bucket yeah, right. to that effort. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, think about that. The the little bit of good that you might do... It's not even good. Like, it's not even good. It's a spit in the face of a God who gives this by grace. Right? To think that you would add even, even a little bit of shine to it by your efforts. Right? So this is the God that we claim to know. Right? That we can hope to continue to know for all of eternity without ever exhausting anything, right? 10,000 years? Keep pressing on. Give it a billion years. Give it a trillion years. In any one direction. And you would never exhaust Him, right? You would never exhaust Him. Verse 5 of... Psalm 147, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Isaiah chapter 55. Flip with me, uh, flip with me there if you would. So Isaiah 55. We're gonna be looking, uh, at verses 8 and 9. So Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. I want to say that. I want to read that one more time. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares who? The declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now I want to stop here and I want to reflect on this for a second because like as I consider the pinning of these words and when they would look out how vast it must have seemed, right? So to say that God's ways are higher than my ways as the heavens are higher, right? Right? And now, as we expand our understanding of what that statement means by the exploration of the thing that He created, how much more weight now can we understand that statement to have? Right? That I can tell you that you could set off in any one direction at the speed of light and never come to the end of it. What does that mean then if God says that His ways are higher than your ways? that His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We're not talking about a couple hundred or a couple of thousand or a couple ten thousand feet, right? We're talking about His thoughts, His ways are infinitely more wise than yours. Infinitely more, right? Job chapter 26, verse 14. Let's flip there. We're going to look at another another example here. So this is one of those where I would encourage you to go back and read the whole, the whole thing here um, to kind of get the context of this. It's a, not an overly long chapter, um, but this is this is kind of coming here at the end of the chapter. Um, so here, um, Job is kind of speaking to various things that God has done, workings that God has done. Job, um, uh, Job chapter twenty six, verse fourteen. Um, so in chapter 26 as a whole, he's kind of going into uh, different things about the work, the works and workings of God. Verse 13, "...there by his hand the heavens were made fair, his hand is pierced uh, the fleeing serpent." But here in verse 14 he says, "...behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him." So Job here speaking to all that God has done, as only the outskirts of His ways, right? What does he mean by that? He means that if you've seen what God has done, right? If you've seen the heavens that He's made fair, you've only glimpsed the outskirts. You're only starting to press in, right? To His ways. That's what He's he's speaking to here. How small a whisper do we hear of Him, right? So like, all that we've seen you would think would be a resounding megaphone right in our ears, right? And Job says to all of this, as great as it is, is but a whisper of Him. Right? Like what does he do? Is he saying that it's insignificant? And is he saying that it's small? No. He's taking that thing for which we know to be enormous and using it as best he can to describe the enormity of God. Right? This is where, like, uh, like, a, like, when I consider this, when I consider this, and then I consider like a Romans eight eighteen, where like the things that we go through now are not even worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed, right? Like when I consider that, that's where I consider like if you take the weight of all the pain that has ever been, how does it weigh out in comparison to the glory of God, right? We will see one day that it is not worthy to be compared, right? We will admit that ourselves. Of the pain of our lives, we will say that, right? God is unsearchable in his character. Right? So let's look let's look at Romans chapter eleven. This is another one of those places kind of a favorite spot for me. Um, Paul here after laying out the gospel in the clearest form that you'll find it anywhere in Scripture. In verse thirty three through thirty six of chapter eleven reflecting back on this gospel, this wisdom of God in the working of Christ and the preaching of the gospel to the nations. Paul reflecting here, verse 33 of chapter 11 of the book of Romans. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How, what? Unsearchable Unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who? Who? Right? No one. Or who has been His counselor? None. No one. Verse 35, Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Who gives to the One who created all? Right? To say that we give anything to Him who first gave that thing to us, Verse 36. For from Him, and through Him, and to Him all things. What belongs to God? What came from God? What comes to us by way of God? To Him be glory forever. Amen. Let's flip to Psalm chapter 39 real quick. Um, Psalm 39... Or excuse me, Psalm one thirty nine, verse six, David here says, and I think we should echo with him this thought: such knowledge is too wonderful for me; it is high, I cannot attain it. Right. Verse one thirty nine. Um, let me flip to verse seventeen. 18 so Psalm 139 17 18 how precious to me are your thoughts O God how vast is the sum of them if I would count them they are more than the sand I awake and I am still with you how crazy it is that he can say that he is with God that that It sounds foolish to say, like, to even make such a claim that we could be with God, and yet we find Christ Himself, God incarnate, saying again, and we'll kind of close out with this, um, where we where we kind of began in John seventeen and three, Christ saying, and this is eternal life, that they know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Um, I think it's one of those things as we consider the knowledge of God. And we're going to kind of um, look at the character of God in the next coming weeks. Um, I think that, that as we do, like we should consider that we can know true things about God, right? And we can know God truly and ever more deeply ever more personally can we know Him, yet we can trust that we will never find the edges. Right? Like we can trust that there is no place that we can press in where we will exhaust our understanding of Him. This should encourage us to continue that search. Right? Like you can know that you can continue pressing. You will not exhaust Him. Right, You can press into His Word. You will not exhaust it. Right? For eternity, we will know Him and experience Him. And every day will be new. Right? Every day we'll have new joys to explore. Right? Because the God that we serve, as foolishly as it sounds, is inexhaustible. Given all the efforts of mankind, he is exhaustible. He is beyond searching out. Um, and we'll close with we'll close with that.